Pages of Pim Better Podcast. I don't believe in lullabies anymore. I don't believe in the sun shine anymore. These sirens sound like shower doors nowadays. Sound like religious ritual nowadays. Sound like routine nowadays. These sirens have become my bedtime stories, but these stories have taught me a lot more than black boy corpses. They have taught me that America has a problem with short-term memory loss. I guess that's just why history keeps repeating itself. I must admit, I come from a rich white neighborhood in Long Island that knows nothing sacred about project buildings except that it is black people's fault that they are in there in the first place. They don't have the time to observe the structure and realize it looks like a sideways slave ship. They don't know about Jim Crow laws or Malcolm X. All they know is that they're afraid of these guns and this violence and these guns and this violence and this gun. This gun has become intimate with the dialect of white man palms, have grown fond of those who make hunchback giraffe out of dark bone silhouettes. They will say to you that the bridge between your lungs still has the number I gave you written in smoke on it, that the trees we planted still dance to the braille of your necks, that my belt still tastes like the cracks of your spinal cord. They will say that we know nothing of your gods or what it means to be drenched in the rain coming from broken clouds or how it feels to think that the sky is an angry elephant playing tug of war with your children. They won't understand the stories in the Bible that they will claim to teach you. When they use your temple against you, say to them, that you are no longer afraid of melanin, that you will no longer be safe under railroads. You will dare to make highway strut out of your footwork. And I will say to all the rich white people in my town who used to make black jokes in class in confidence because they knew no harm could be done to them, that what you sow is what you reap. And Jesus was not a conservative, but a humanitarian. So make pedestal out of your souls. And when they mock you in closet rhythm, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and all the spirits hanging from the trees that their ancestors made lynch out of. And when they tell you that black people are too loud, too violent, and too angry, say to them that this is what happens when you silence royalty. The poem that you just heard is called Royalty. It was written and performed by Ramya Ramana. What's up, everyone? This is the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. As always, I greatly appreciate you tuning in, so thank you. On today's episode, my guest is the incredibly talented Ramya Ramana, who you just heard. Ramya is a poet, a teacher, an artist, a performer, and an activist. This was a really, really cool conversation. Um, I greatly appreciate the time that she gave today to join and, and, and to talk with me, and I really think that you're going to like this one. I first saw Ramya in 2014, shortly after she had become the um, Youth Poet Laureate. She performed at the Brooklyn Academy of Music, and... Soon afterward, I was checking out her stuff online. She's got videos, interviews, features, uh, and all of it is fantastic. 
she has one publication available for purchase right now that is called Don't Drown Her in the Baptism. What we are, or what I'm going to do is similar to a lot of the other like contests or giveaway things that I've done in the past. Um, I'm going to give away a couple copies of her book. So super, super simple. Um, all you have to do is email me at the voyages of Tim at gmail.com. And for this one, it's completely nonspecific. Just email me, say hi. Uh, I love hearing from people. I like interacting with people through the podcast. So just email me, say hi, tell me what's up, what maybe something cool that's going on in your life. And I'll pick a couple of people that are random or a couple of the emails that I like the best. And I will mail you a copy of her book and some podcast stickers and stuff like that that I have for, for this podcast. So when is this going to come out? I'm getting wisdom teeth pulled tomorrow, people. So I don't know how much of this is going to get finished tomorrow. Today is the 10th. Tomorrow's the 11th. I think uh, the Friday the 12th. So between Friday the 12th and let's say January 30th, is that fair? Between the 12th and the 30th, I'll, I'll take emails for this episode. And if anybody wants to uh, get a copy of that book, just shoot me an email. Cool. All right. So I'm going to play one more clip for you before we get into the conversation that we have. This is referenced in our conversation. It's incredible. And it's incredible to think that Ramya wrote and performed this at 18, 19 years old. It's, it's wild. But this is from the youth, the, the youth poet laureate. I'm sorry. I don't know why I have trouble saying that. From the Slam Final, you can watch it on YouTube. It is YPL Slam Final, Ramya Ramana, Miss America. Uh, this is it's crazy powerful. And, and you should watch it too uh, because I think that there's an added element when you watch it. But this is the audio from that, from the Slam Final that uh, helped Ramya to become the Youth Poet Laureate. And I love it. Okay, then we had been talking for a little bit before I pressed record. So right after you hear the audio, we're just, you're jumping straight into the conversation that we're having. So there's no further introduction after this point. All right. Hope you enjoy it, folks. Make some noise for Ramya coming to the stage. of the 2014 Miss America, Nina Dabaluri. One, Miss New York is an Indian. With all due respect, this is America too. <laughs> Miss America, you mean Miss 7113. Congratulations, Al-Qaeda. Our Miss America is one of you. Four, Miss America, foot-long buffalo chicken on whole wheat. Please and thank you. I am a first-generation Indian-American from New York. My family is from South India, and we speak one of the 398 living languages in our country called Telugu. Nina Dabaluri is a first-generation Indian-American from New York. Her family is from South India, and they speak one of the 398 living languages in their country called Telugu. When this soil is all you 
when their mouths flail like sneezing gums at the epitome of your bloodline, do not fear the consequence of pulse. Simply stand firm. Stand still is one of the hardest things mankind can do. Use the esophagus of your eyes as weaponry. Talk to them in chatterbox format. Tell them that this soil is yours, that this flag is yours, that this birth certificate is yours. Speak of caste systems. Speak of Gandhi. Speak of Nehru. one show and there was this reporter who was like oh can I take a video and I can I post it on the website so I said yeah sure that's fine so they have posted it nothing wrong with them they didn't they did what they said they didn't like twist up anything but then there was this other reporter from like a super conservative news outlet mm. and like like a super well-known conservative news outlet and so I guess he saw it on the website and so he decided to write an article on it and he said, like, I forgot something. I mean, of course, like, the headline had something to do with de Blasio, you know, clickbait stuff. Yeah. And um, de Blasio's favorite poet is, like, a, you know, a, a white hater mm. or something. Like, I don't know what, I forgot what the title was, but... Um, so, yeah, so he included my poem and... It, was um, this, a, like, a big personality? Yeah. Is it, he, was it Ben Shapiro? No. No? Okay. Um, I, no, I don't know if he's a big personality, but okay. the, it's a it's a big news, it's a big conservative outlet, okay. like very huge in like the conservative world, right? Huh. So, yeah, so the, I guess that article like went out. It was like it's like oh, got all these tweet, we retweets and shares like over like thousands or ten, I think it was like ten thousand or. 12,000. I mean, I guess that's not that much, but it was like enough. It's a little, it's a, yeah. That's a stadium, right? Like, so, that's a yeah, lot of it was a lot. And, you know, I just got, I got like 300 emails, 300 like comments, trolls. I had people calling. I was, I was in college at the time and I had people calling 
my university, <laughs> like no. complaining about me. <laughs> and I mean, I've just, I had like death threats, like just like the most cruel, cruel things. And like, it's just like, wow, I, you know, you might not agree with me, but you want me to die? Like, and, and the, the, <laughs> so I was noticing, like, I didn't really, I didn't see any of that. I was going to ask you about that. I'm keeping yeah. all this because I think this is good. But, um, I was watching some of your videos in preparation for this, and it was i don't want to I don't want to do this injustice and screw up the name the is it, it's called Miss America yeah okay mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and it's and we're going to get into that and it's amazing and most of the comments like Thank it was you. a YouTube video or something super positive, but then there's someone that comes out like with this negativity and it's like man she's she's eighteen. You know, oh, like I didn't even read that. <laughs> it, it was, but it wasn't. It wasn't. It was basically just along the lines of like the what you were just talking about. Yeah. Well, well, she's just uh, going to be someone that's talking about white privilege and hate or something like that. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. What sure. about the? Because you were talking about like, as I interpreted it, like the migrant experience in America. Yeah, sure. And she and the, the person says some ridiculous thing about well, what about in India? This that. It's like. Hey yeah. man, like maybe back off a bit. She's eighteen. Yeah. Like, did you do anything this profound when you were eighteen? Like, did you have the courage to get up there and do that? Like, relax. <laughs> like, okay, so then yeah. go go make your own poem, yeah. and and that's cool. Like, freedom of speech. You have the right to go do that, I guess. So, it's yeah. bizarre to me. It's just you know, it's interesting to me because like. You know, I'm sure, you know, growing up in Long Island, mm. a lot of these people that might be trolls on the Internet are people that could have been in proximity to us, you oh, know, yeah. and like people that we knew. And, you know, sometimes people that we might have considered friends at one point, you know, and like so it's interesting to me is just like like the the understanding of like the reality of racism is like it always depends on like proximity like if you are near to it if you are exposed to it um then there's just like like you're more app uh more i don't know what the word is like you you're you're you adhere to being a listener Mm. right but then when you're really not like so for example i think like when i do poems like that like miss america or you know i mean all my poems are you know, pretty much of similar content. Um, you know, I I think it like the word racism or racist is so heavy, and people don't realize that because racism is so neutralized in America that it's not something like the word racist is not like reserved for like you know people that are like you know, like in the KKK, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just a lot more applicable to like the, the, the general population of American people. (laughs) Yeah. I think a lot of people are, a lot of people don't like, like you were saying, so it's nuanced, right? It's not so black and white. And I mean, so there's a lot of people that don't identify like that, right? Yeah. And so the one, like, I am not KKK, yeah. I'm not racist, but yeah. might not understand, like, even the subtle ways that that might be contributing. Or- yeah, and, and I mean, that's, that's usually what it is, right? Mm. It's, like, the unawareness of it. I mean, I think in Long Island, it was, like, here in New, in New York City, I would say 
when it does happen, it's very, it's more like microaggressions, right? But like in Long Island, I think it was a little more, it's a little more, it has more of a voice. <laughs> um, because, you know, like, I mean, I, I can only remember growing up, like, just the amount of racist jokes, just like, you know what I'm saying? And even when we first moved to Long Island, or moved to Stony Brook, we had to put a, a, an American flag in, the, in our front mm. yard, just so like our neighbors wouldn't be scared of us, you know? So Long Island <laughs> is really interesting, I guess for, for people that aren't familiar with it. Yeah. Um, one of the first suburbs in the country, they're actually strangely is a, a KKK presence on Long Island. Oh yeah, I've heard. <laughs> and, and neighborhoods are, I don't, I don't know if it was through like purposeful redlining or not, but neighborhoods segregated. are pretty uh, segregated and extremely segregated. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, did you ever see when I was younger? It might have been an even in college. We watched Farmingville. Did you ever see that documentary? No, I haven't. Do you know what it's about? I no, I haven't heard of it. So you know, you know, Farmville is a, is a town on Long Island, yeah. and it's essentially about there were a lot of people that had migrated there from Central and South America, mm -hmm. and they were day laborers. And wow. there was one stretch of the road where they would line up in the morning, and people would pick them up for a day's work, right? Okay. Pay cash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what you did for sure. the day. And there are all these people in the town that um, were so against this. Yeah. There was there was a there was a catalyst to like all the vitriol that occurred and it was that there was an illegal immigrant who was drunk driving and I believe killed someone. I, I've, okay. you know, this is 10 plus years ago. I saw okay. this, but you know, and they're saying, well, if that person hadn't been here in the country, well then that wouldn't have happened. Right, but for all the people who are legalized <laughs> right. citizens who get into drunk driving accidents, like the issue isn't necessarily the the <laughs> illegal immigration. Right, the right, or like it's the drinking and driving. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Let me let's say how I came to, you know, first hear about you and see you. Uh, if I get any of these things wrong, like I already said, national youth poet earlier when we were talking. So just correct me if I get sure, yeah, any yeah. of the terminology incorrect, okay. but in 2014, so BAM is great. Uh, mm -hmm. I was working at a school in proximity to BAM, mm -hmm. uh, obviously in Brooklyn for anybody that doesn't know. And they put on a yearly spoken word poetry event, poetry mm -hmm. slam, and we took a bunch of kids to it and it was just phenomenal. Yeah. At that time, you, I guess... Talk through how you came to perform there and mm -hmm. the honors and everything that you won and became a part of. Yeah, so um, in 2014, well, actually, 2013, they had the Youth Poet Laureate competition. And, um, you know, I was a freshman in college and I was like, I'm totally not going to do this because I'm like completely unqualified. And... Um, you know, I mean, I, I just wasn't going to do it. And then, you know, a couple of my friends were like, no, you should do it. Just try it or whatever. And so, you know, they like encouraged me, pressured me a little bit. And so I was like, OK, I mean, I guess I'll do it. And even then, I mean, I really had no like inkling of like, you know, I just like there was a specific person who was going to be in the competition. And, and I and everybody knew that that was going to be the winner. Everybody's like, oh, that they got it this year, you know. 
And, um, you know, like one thing after another. And then I just like ended up getting this title. So it was a slam. We had to submit like our CV, five pages of poems. And um, then I, ju- I just found out if I'm correct with it. CV is like a resume. Yeah. So it's like an artistic resume. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's it's same thing in the resume. And it's so funny. we just talked about that two episodes ago. It was the first yeah, time I heard a that. CV. Right. I mean, it was the first time I heard about that too. When okay. They told us we had to make one. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So we submitted that. And then the judges, you know, decide if we make it to the final round, which is the slam. And in the slam, we have two rounds. So one is a three minute 30 seconds max, and that's a civic engagement piece. Okay. And then the second one is a one-minute round, and it's um, based on voting um, because the Youth Poet Laureate program is in partnership with Urban Word and NYC Votes. So, you know, I, you know, I went to the competition, and I was like, you know, I said a prayer. I said, God, if this is for me, you know, whatever. If it's not, I'm not like, you know, I just... I don't know. I just didn't think that it was going to be for me. And I remember my father texting me. He's like, I don't know. Like, I felt something. I'm like, because literally right before the slam, like, until then, I was like, I'm not going to get it. But then I was like, something in me, I was like, you know, I feel like I might get this. And like, I I really think it was God because my dad texted me too. I asked my dad to pray for me. And he said, I I can't remember things. I have to go back and see. But like, I mean, four years ago, I don't know if I can look up those messages, but, <laughs> um, you know, I remember he's like, he, he's like, oh, God, God is going to make you victorious or something. I think that's what he said. And so I said, OK, this is weird. I feel like I'm going to win this. But it wasn't in an arrogant way. It was like, I feel like that's what God's telling me, you know, and. Was this the Miss America performance? Yeah, that I'm this was to? the Miss America performance. Yeah. So I want, I, and we will move on. But I wanted to ask: Is that what you whispered to yourself? Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, the, uh, uh, beforehand. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I just that was my prayer. That was like I was just saying. Really? I said, God. I said, be with me. And I said, because I was so nervous. Mm. I was like, oh my gosh. Like I felt like I was gonna have a panic attack, and I was so scared because I had never, like, I performed the poem to myself once mm-hmm. or twice, but I never performed the this poem before in public so I just really wanted to like I don't know I'm like don't mess it up don't you know because I was getting nervous and I did mess up a little bit and then I just I just said God make this about you and not me because I I was so nervous and I was like I'm making this about myself right now so I just said God make this about you and not me and like just be with me and that's you know that's that's That's, how it happened no that's incredible (laughs) Um, I'm gonna link to that it, there's a YouTube videos. So I'm going to link to that in the show notes so anybody can click on that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I noticed that. Like you took a deep breath, <laughs> closed your eyes and said something. I'm like, oh, what is she doing right now? <laughs> and then you just like erupted and everyone went crazy. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was very grateful. That, that was a great audience. Yeah. Like, I mean, just so supportive and so loving. Like even in my mess ups, like I just felt like the encouragement and I think, you know, I attribute that definitely to like urban word and like just always making that family kind of like environment for all of us poets. And, um, can you explain what urban word is? Yeah. So urban word is a youth literary arts organization. And, um, so they usually have after school writing workshops, free creative writing workshops after school. And that's how I really got involved in poetry. So the New York Knicks, the scholarship program is, through Urban Word, the Youth Poet Laureate program is through Urban Word. Um, you know, uh, so 
the Youth Poet Laureate program was um, originally usually just in New York and L.A., but um, since 2014, it has expanded, and you know now it's almost in every city in the country, and wow. there's also a National Youth Poet Laureate um, position now, and they're also expanding globally. So um, and this is all through Urban Words. So It's mostly for high school kids? Yeah, so it's ages 13 to 19. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's a little bit of middle school, but yeah. mostly high school kids, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so... And then you win with that poem. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had the other poem too, but right. I, I, I think that that's the poem that weighs more in the okay. heavy. And then that and the CV, they both are okay. equally weighed. Yeah. Um, and then you're invited to perform at BAM because of that? Uh, yeah. So I think, I mean, so that happened in October, right? So I didn't, so when October was like when I was, when it was announced and then Come January, it's I take on my position, right? Okay. 2014. Um, and so usually every year the Youth Poet Laureate is invited to perform at BAM. And um, and then there's other poets as well that are invited, I'm sure, as you saw. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so uh, after that, um, and so the BAM was in like around May. Um, I think it was like May 8th or May 9th. And um, so they had reached out to me in March or February and... Um, and that's how it kind of went from there. So, yeah, I mean, BAM is great. And, like, I mean, they're super supportive. And, obviously, like, BAM is also just, like, an amazing uh, venue for artists. Oh, yeah. And, like, great concerts and events. And just, like, you know, like, things that are commercial and pop, but also things that are just, like, still, like, local. And I, I oh, love yeah. that BAM has, like, that versatility or is so versatile in what they showcase you yeah know? they do a yeah. lot of stuff too for for kids in school like yeah. they they had subsidized like various trips that we went on because oh, wow. of title one status and stuff like that oh that's amazing got to see screenings and uh directors talking yeah. and things like that it's yeah, awesome yeah yeah i appreciate bam a lot i don't yeah. go there as often because you know before i was in queens now i'm in harlem yeah. i'm like I, i'm not really in any other borough unless I have to be, mm. but <laughs> them is great. <laughs> From there, or I guess probably because of your status as the Youth Poet Laureate, um, there's some really cool mentions that I'm going to get to, mm -hmm. and then some like massive opportunities. Yeah. So like, I guess probably the biggest one I'm referring to is you were invited to perform at Bill de Blasio's inauguration. Yeah, yeah. Talk to me about that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, again, like, it's so crazy. Like, um, I mean, th that was just insane in general. Because, you know, I was just an 18-year-old girl who, like, went home and yeah. wrote poems because, you know, the racist kids at school, like, were calling me names. And I just, I f didn't have a voice then. So, like, I would just go home and write all these words. And, like, that was kind of, like, where I found my agency. I would, like, make up this world where it's, like, I was finally the one in power and they couldn't say anything back to me. And, you know, so that's just like how I, it was really how I survived, you know? Mm. And so it was just crazy that like, you know, what I did after school, just a vent is what got me here. Um, but yeah, so I mean, so October came and I received the position and I think it was around November. Yeah. I think it was like late November, early December. Um, I got a call from the executive director at Urban Word, and um, so he left me a voicemail because I was actually on the phone already, so I, I couldn't pick up. And um, so he left me a voicemail. He's like, 
So, you know, we got this really cool opportunity. Um, you know, uh, the first lady, Charlene McRae, um, it wants to know if you want to perform at the inauguration. I'm just like, uh, you know, that's <laughs> kind of a big deal. But like, you know, you hear about that and you're like, okay, well, like I knew it was a big deal, but I didn't know like how much of a big deal it was. Cause I'm like, you know, at an inauguration, like I've only seen like presidential inaugurations. Mm. I, I've never like witnessed any other inauguration. And that was like on TV, you know? So I'm like, you know, there's like all these performances, but some are like really showcased. And then some are kind of like, you know, like you see them for like a second and then the camera keeps moving, you know? Mm. So I was like, oh, okay, you know, I'm grateful. This is a huge opportunity, but I don't know if I'm going to be like, like a real part of the inauguration, which is fine if I'm not, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, just grateful to be there, but right. you know, whatever. So I was like, okay, cool. And they're like, okay, well we need them. So the mayor's team, they were like, okay, we need the poem in like three days. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well let me start writing. <laughs> so I had, you so know. So you wrote it specifically for the inauguration. Yeah, yeah. So they asked me to write a poem for it. So yeah, so I, I mean, I could have used a poem, but I mean, I wanted to, you know. Right. It was so specific, so, you know, and I also knew it was, a, it was a really big deal, which was why I was so honored, because it was like, you know, we were transitioning mayors from, you know, Mayor Bloomberg, who was, you know, there for 12 years, and, uh, you know, like, people had his feelings about Mayor Bloomberg, and then, so, Bill de Blasio was kind of like, like, I don't know, people were really looking forward to him, especially because, like, you know, he had an interracial family, so, you know, not that that makes somebody, but like, you know, there was just like all these factors that, um, you know, like, like he kind of like won the people in a sense, like, or was winning or like, you know, it was, it was popular. So, you know, it was a huge, you know, just for like a 12 year, like mayoral, like position to transition to that. It was, a, I knew it was like, you know, this is a, a, a big honor and a big deal. And, you know, and I have this platform and this access that most people my age and that look like me, you know, are not, I'm not, are not being given the same opportunity. So I was like, well, you know, I really want to, you know, keep my integrity, you know, on that stage because, you know, I understand that it's a, it's an honor and there's a lot of people watching and there's a lot of politicians and I don't want to say anything that's disrespectful, dishonoring, but I also want to be truthful to how I see the everyday New Yorker, you know? Mm. Whereas, you know, I don't, I don't want to paint New York as something that somebody on the train that's going to work can't relate to, you mm. know? Because that's the life I live as soon as I step off that stage. So, I've, I, you know, my biggest, um, my biggest, like, goal was just to to like keep my integrity and um you know I hope I did that um so yeah I mean then you know so that day came and I mean it was just surreal like you know I was like I remember I was I, so I was there and um you know we were waiting behind and waiting to be called out to be seated because there was like the seats on the steps at, it was at city hall and um so I found out Harry Belafonte was going to be there like the day before I was reading it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I was totally like, like, you know, I, I admire Harry Belafonte. So I was like, oh my gosh, I was just praying. I said, God, let me be friends with him. <laughs> That's all I want to do. And, um, 
So, yeah, so what had happened was, so they called me, they said, um, are you the poet? I said, I was like, yeah, they're like, okay, you sit here. So I, so then all of a sudden, you know, they have the names on the seats. So I said, okay, I sat there, and all of a sudden I looked next to it, and I see Belafonte. And I was like, um, I think I'm in the wrong seat. Because <laughs> I'm like, I'm not sitting next to Harry Belafonte. Like, what? Like, you're the poet, right? And I was like, yeah, they're like, no, that's your seat. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> so I was just like, okay. I was like, oh my gosh, Belafonte and Belafonte. So I see this woman walk up <laughs> to come sit next to me. So I was like, oh man, I knew it was too good to be true. So it turns out that woman is his wife. Uh-huh. <laughs> so she sits next to me and then Harry Belafonte sits right there. And I was just like, oh my gosh. So I said, don't act like a groupie. Don't freak out. <laughs> so I'm like trying to, you know, I'm trying to act like it doesn't matter. I'm like, oh, hey, how you doing? You know, back to real life. Like <laughs> just trying to act so cool. And I totally failed because <laughs> then, so, you know, his wife leaned over to me and she was like, so are you nervous? She, and I was like, yeah, you know, just a little bit. And she was like, don't worry, there's only like 100 cameras on you. Mm. <laughs> so I was like, thanks, that made me feel better. No, but she was just, she was silly. And she said, oh, you're the poet, right? And I was like, you know who I am? <laughs> and then, um, yeah, they were like, you know, th- you know, and then they were like, oh, yeah, we were reading about you. And then I said, can I, do you mind if I take a picture or like whatever? And I was like, I'm just, I'm so honored. Like, and then th- I just lost it then. I was just like being a total groupie. Yeah, I mean, for uh, the, our politics are so divided. Like, so Bill de Blasio is someone that, um, you know, was quite liberal. Yeah. Came across as like the much more progressive candidate. Yeah. Um, it's funny, I see stuff like on social media, like from people from Long Island that I know that are like, oh, the city's gone to hell because of de Blasio. <laughs> like, look at, I see wow. someone like, look at all the homeless people now. It's de Blasio. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, okay, like, how often do you come here? <laughs> um, but it, so what was incredible to me was, in addition to like, you know, celebrating the fact that he was elected, your poem was about New Yorkers and was mm-hmm. also about, classism yeah and i almost got nervous <laughs> like felt your nerves <laughs> watching it because i mean you didn't come across as nervous mm-hmm. um and you, you're speaking to a whole bunch of other politicians that are there <laughs> like speaking directly to them and it was i don't know man like it was really powerful and that was thank you. Yeah, I I can't imagine like how nervous you must have been, but it it didn't show. Oh man, well that's all God, cause I couldn't have done that by myself. <laughs> I mean, and you did the thing that like I would assume many activists and artists would want to do is like you're speaking directly, you know, to the source of some of the frustration and classism yeah, sure. divide. And, sure. Yeah. Yeah, that was um, you know, I mean like. I definitely blocked out, like, you know, I'm, I wasn't, like, when I was there, I wasn't thinking of that per se. When I wrote it, I'm sure I was, but, like, when I was there, I was just hoping that, you know, my delivery was decent, mm. that I wasn't messing up the words, and, you know, just really, like, the technical side of the poem, and just also being able to feel it and resonate with the audience, you know? So I was really lo- looking at, when I was actually physically there, I was looking at it from a very, like, performance perspective. I'm like, okay, I want to do this correctly and uh, you know and um yeah I mean I I guess I didn't even realize like I mean just being 18 the weight of like 
actually speaking to the, um, you know, like some of the biggest politicians in the world, you mm. know? And um, that was, uh, I, you know, it was like, it was an honor. And um, I think what, I, I don't know. I mean, it's just always like really weird to like think about that moment. Um, but I, I think like what really, you know, like, I mean, that was all great and stuff, but I I was so grateful for like, how it it was received, you know, mm. like I mean, I, you know, I did receive critiques and all that, and that comes with it. But like for the most part, you know, like like people, especially New Yorkers, showed me a lot of love, and this is like from the everyday New Yorker to like like news outlets and stuff like that, and that was like that really warmed my heart because it just made me feel like okay, like I did you, like I I represented you correctly, you know. So yeah, and for you know some bigger parts of like New York hip hop and poetry yeah. culture, like you, um, there was a mention on Ebro. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that was recently, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. the source did an article on you. I think yeah, I read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, mean, that's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm very honored. I mean, like I love Ebro in the morning. So when I had seen, well, which was Michael Sorelli who was on it, mm. who's the executive director of Urban Word. So when I, I was like, oh, this is cool. <laughs> I was like, one day Ebro, I'm gonna meet you. But no, yeah, and then the, you know the source has been great. It has always you know, show me love, and, um, yeah, I'm, I, it's, it's very, it's very, like, it's just an honor, and I, my always goal is to, like, keep that integrity, and, like, um, because it's one thing to earn the respect of people that are, like, you see on TV that are making the decisions, but it's another thing when you earn the respect of, like, the everyday person, right, because it's just, like, Man, nobody knows what it's like an, other than the person who lives it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, like, um, I always, I never want to forsake that, you know? In in my work, in, you know, who I am and um, whatever access I, I get. And, and, you know, I do have big dreams. Like, I, I, I want to be a full-time poet, you know? I want to be able to be a poet that's, you know, like, like if 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 a singer can dream to be this and an actor can dream to be this big, I want to be a poet who can dream to be just as big, you know. And I want those things, but I, my, while I'm achieving those things, I want to always be true to that, you know. Like just so that, I mean, like I'm not there for myself, you know what I'm saying? Like if I was there for myself, then that would be kind of vain, and I would probably get tired of it and miserable really quickly <laughs> no i get it it's like selling your soul right to, yeah to make a buck yeah so yeah i mean it's an it's definitely it's like one of the biggest honors of my life to have been able to do that and mm. um you know i got a lot of shows i mean that really like you know that was kind of like the beginning of my career you know so i got a lot of shows after that and um I've been trying to build ever since, but I'm I'm so grateful to the mayor and his family for like just you know not being afraid and like giving me that and l- allowing me to say those things. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, I was gonna like, ask you. I guess they didn't. They were totally okay with the content. Yeah, I mean, I sent them it, and you know, obviously, they had to proofread before mm, they right. just let me go up there. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they were you know they were on board. So, and that says a lot. So yeah. uh, you know, I mean, they could have easily been like you know, all right, tone it down a little bit. 
but they didn't. So. so I wanted to ask you about content and some of your themes. And I think that throughout the conversation so far, you've alluded maybe to part of the answer. I'm also going to try to, I'm so long-winded. I'm going to try to condense multiple thoughts oh, into okay. one point. But no, that's okay. I'm the same way. So, <laughs> so I'm wondering about, so to me at least, the, some of the themes that I've been reading, like we talked about classism mm -hmm. um, already, but like activism, uh, the immigrant experience, the experience of people of color in the United States. Yeah. Um, and I think it's totally, because I've worked with kids, I think it's totally unfair to say to a kid, I hate when people are like, ah, well, you haven't experienced anything yet. Because kids might have experienced things that you've never dreamed <laughs> oh, yeah. of experiencing. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. They just live a different life than you. Yeah. But you, you come from a place where you almost sound like an old soul, like somebody who really, it, it's fiery. And mm -hmm. I'm wondering, is it, is it through your experiences growing up on Long Island? Like, is that the source of some of these themes? Mm -hmm. Where Where is this coming from? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think, like, having to grow up young definitely, like, you know, sobers you and makes you, like, f like kind of forces you to, to think about, like, the powers around you and, and how that makes you you and how that has affected you um but i mean i also think like man like i think there's a lot of young people who could say things the same as me or or and, and articulate it much better and have so much more to say i think that we just don't really give young people that agency you know and just like constantly shutting them down and constantly feeling like you know like just that that they don't get it and I mean, like, these, this isn't just what I said on stage. These were conversations that I was having with my peers, you know. This this is stuff that I was talking about in the classroom at Urban Word. And, um, you know, I think we just don't give young people enough credit. Mm. I mean, of course, like, you know, I teach middle school now, and they're having these conversations too. It, it might not be as, like, you know, like, processed as like somebody in high school might be and even sometimes in high school thoughts might not be processed like right I mean like for example I mean there's like like even growing up in Stony Brook and and being a, a person of color like I you know there's certain things that I can experience right there's certain things I understand but like somebody who might be a, a, a uh, a man of color, right? Who might have experienced, understand racism, but not, might not understand like misogyny or like, you know, patriarchy. Um, and that, that might not be processed like thought or not thought, but like developed thinking or like, you know, whatever that, I'm not sure the, the right words for it, but yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I, I, yeah, I feel like my experiences definitely made me grow up young. I mean, not just like in school, but just life. You know, it was not easy growing up, but I think that there's like there's young people and I'm sure, you know, like as the assistant principal, like, you know, you, I'm sure you hear the conversations, you know, and they have so much to say. And so I just think that if there is like a space for that, for them to feel like they can just talk and not be like shamed and not be, you know, you know, shut down, then a lot of these conversations would come up sooner or just be more prevalent, you know? Yeah, it's hard right now, too, in this country where it's like, 
I really try to at least listen to both sides, but we, we almost don't even, I, I really feel like on, on both sides of the political spectrum, we almost don't let people even speak, speak or figure things out <laughs> yeah. or, or even screw up and then not screw up in a really awful way, but yeah. like learn. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've even, I've had this thought I want to make and I'm even like, should I not say it because it sounds so ridiculous, mm -hmm. but I'm going to say it like, so, lo so long Island is, we talked about it already, mm -hmm. but it is, you know, kind of class and economics and race there's a there's a divide even in yeah. some towns like i remember i used to canvas when i was young for like i did political canvassing and I'm trying to, i think it was like bellport the rundown mm -hmm. and yeah. it's literally the other side of the track situation where yeah. it's like on the one side you see all these crazy um really big houses and mansions mm -hmm, and like mm -hmm. um a lot of affluence mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you literally go over the train tracks mm -hmm. and it's boarded up homes and things mm -hmm. like that and the point I was trying to make was I think for a lot of people, it, especially if they feel like they're an ally, like mm -hmm. it is hard to understand and admit that, yeah, like there might be privilege. Like yeah. I've, I've had to work very, very, mm -hmm. very hard in my life. Mm -hmm. My dad did not mm -hmm. go to college. Like mm -hmm. he's had to work mm -hmm. very, very mm -hmm. hard in his life. He did everything mm -hmm. to support our family. Mm -hmm when I first started like a career type of job, mm -hmm. I didn't have enough money to pay my rent. I've mm -hmm. had to work very, very hard. Mm -hmm. But I can also see that as like a blonde haired, blue eyed, mm -hmm. white male yeah. in America, there are certain things I have not had to worry about. Yeah. And yeah. The, I could never say that I know what it's like to not be me in my skin. Yeah. But the one time where I was just like, oh, okay, here's a tiny tiny taste of it so no yeah. I can see the comments already you know but I was in Nairobi mm -hmm. and I've traveled extensively in Southeast Asia there's tons mm -hmm. of Australian tourists mm -hmm. and Europeans and in Nairobi it's like oh there's no Americans mm -hmm. oh there's no white people mm -hmm. like every every advert you see every sign and billboard and things like that yeah. oh yeah there's no white people yeah and so it's like no, I didn't have to feel any systemic oppression or yeah, no sure, one sure, hated yeah. me because I was yeah, there, but it yeah. was like, yeah, this Felt is the first time I've ever stepped in a gaze, place yeah. where I don't look like the majority yeah. of people. And so yeah. it's the tiny fraction yeah. of a taste of at least like feeling a little weird in your own skin. Yeah, like, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and it's, I mean, in Long Island specifically, like I remember one of the things that I remember the most was just like, you know, I guess what they call the white gaze, right? Just like walking into either a restaurant or walking into a supermarket or walking in even the hallways of school and just being stared at, right? And it's just like, it's just like the feeling of like being an alien. Like you literally feel like an alien. And it's so interesting because like a lot of, the, you know, like even our terminology for undocumented immigrants are aliens, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it's just like how we like have been conditioned to see people of color or, or just like, and like even, even when it's like a person of color is like considered like acceptable or respectable, right? There's all these spectrums that they have to fit in like, oh, like, um, you know, either middle class or, you know, just like, I mean, there's just like this like respectability politics or like, oh, if you act like a, if you act like a good one, then like, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Then, you know, we, we'll be nice to you. And, you know, I I remember like even 
It's so crazy. I don't like in Facebook. You, you used to have like these little Facebook videos where you like put a video on your friend's wall and say, mm-hmm. "Hey, how you doing?" or whatever. And you know now they have like Facebook memories and stuff. So you like look back and Facebook reminds you of like your youth and you're like, "Oh my gosh, I wish Facebook you didn't because I was like really weird." But I mean, I still am. But and, but I remember like certain videos like I, I posted on my friends walls like, hey, how you doing? And it's so crazy just to see like even the way that I spoke, even the way that I like I dressed, everything was centered around like like trying to assimilate to mm. whiteness. Like, I mean, just like even the way that I spoke, not that there's a thing as speaking white, but like it was very like Valley girl. I know what you're talking about. And, yeah. And, and people know, even if they don't want to admit it. They yeah. Know, they you know what I'm saying? It was very like, and th- it, and if that's my real voice, th- if that's how I talk, then sure. Mm. So be it. But that was not my voice, you, you know? Want, you want to be liked and accepted. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it was either of not having that. Exactly. I mean, it was either that or I was just going to be like excommunicated. Mm. And you know, it's like, I, it was really, it was how I survived, you know? It was what the tools I, I used. I mean, I didn't have any person of color, like, trying to tell me, like, like giving me my agency or, like, somebody, like, representing me on TV or in music or, you know? It was just none of that. So I literally had to conform. And just so that I wouldn't get the gaze or I wouldn't, you know, it's, I mean, that was, like, my whole childhood. And so it really took me being around other people of color to realize, hey, you know, maybe I'm okay, like, not doing all that. And then that was just the first layer. Then it was like, wait, who am I? Mm. I didn't even, I never even got to, like, organically develop that because so much of my life I've had to. And it's not even, and it's like the like the microaggressions even at home right because like being a first generation american and it's just like your family out of out of wanting to protect you and out of fear for their own life like encourages your assimilation you know it's just like you know act this way don't say this in front of white people don't like act you know what i'm saying it's just like my whole life was centered around Were those that, conversations right? that you ever had at home Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, this was like a daily, especially after 9-11, right? Because oh, that's when we had moved okay. to Stony Brook. Right. So that was like our whole... And yeah, I remember on Long Island at that time, yeah. there were people who were attacked. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's intense. So, you know, like even, I mean, in India, like bleaching creams are like huge. You oh, know? yeah. Yeah. It all like all over the place where I go in Southeast Asia. Yeah. What did I just see? Oh, I can't talk about that. I just saw something really ridiculous the other day where, like, I'll mention it. People are, like, bleaching their genitals now. Oh, But, wow. like, it, yeah, it's, there's bleaching yeah. cream everywhere. And, yeah. like, you walk outside in 90-plus degree weather with a heavy coat and umbrella. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. I mean, like, even in this country, at least we have a kind of a conversation. Like, if somebody were to bleach their skin, you're like, oh, no, what's wrong? Like, yeah. in, I mean, growing up, it was that was never a conversation like is it wrong it's just what you did meanwhile you white know? people are like, like me in the summer trying to get bra- in the summer when I get a 10 in the summer I'm like oh this is great <laughs> it's so interesting right like every you know uh, I thought about that too but yeah I mean that's just like even at home I remember my grandmother used to give it to me my mother used to give it to me and this is nothing against them you know this is just what they know too you know so well, they thought they were, you know, possibly were teaching you survival. Yeah. yeah. So. I mean, you are still quite young. Um, mm-hmm. d- does that, like, so whilst a lot of what you're writing is quite personal, you are also the voice 
of other people like does is mm-hmm. is that a heavy burden that you carry um like do you feel yeah. like maybe i i could word that a little more um eloquently like do you feel as if you know you're you're having to meet other people's expectations and be their voice and mm-hmm. talk about their experience um so i i don't i used to feel like that i think when i was like you know, just 18, when I, when I had just the whole inauguration that, that whole time, um, I think I felt more of that, but now, you know, I don't really feel like I'm the voice of the people or whatever, because I just think there's so many voices mm. and we all have different perspectives. And like, for me to even think that, I feel like that kind of like makes what I, it, it kind of goes against everything I do because then I'm suggesting that my voice is a monolith, that mm-hmm. like, that our experiences are a monolith. Now, that makes sense. As people of color or like as women of color or like as a South Asian American or first generation American, whatever identities. But- yeah, of course, like there are things that we definitely resonate with right. and like systemic oppression, racism and sexism is a real thing. So those are common experiences. And I think that my hope is like through sharing that, that if somebody else resonates with it, if somebody else is impacted or moved by it, then I've done my job. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I will always try my best to, to be uh, keep the integrity and uh, just be honest. The only thing I do get like nervous about is because I think like especially right now we're living in like just a dialogue of like social awareness and like everybody being woke, you know. Mm-hmm. And so like my thing is like as um learning like for example like I'm a I'm a cis hetero woman you know like I don't know what it's like to be transgender I don't know what it's like to be you know not straight so you know what I I I also want to acknowledge the areas where I'm privileged you know and I also want to be uh you know like mindful of that in my work or like just being able-bodied right like I want to be mindful of that and so um it's not that I get nervous, but it's just that like I, I'm like always I'm continuing to grow, and I I don't ever want to say anything that, um, like I don't know might not represent somebody else correctly, especially if I'm in the position of privilege. You know. I see what you're saying. Yeah, we are also living within multiple. I think revolutions right now. Like mm-hmm. we're we are in the middle of a technological mm-hmm. revolution. Mm-hmm. But there is a, like a social mm-hmm. revolution happening mm-hmm. and yeah. it's very divided and it's yeah. tricky and we're learning how to deal with it. Yeah. And it can be scary because no, almost doesn't matter what you say, somebody's going to not be okay with yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that's... There's something that I, I, I hope you're okay talking about this. In mm-hmm. one of your interviews... You mentioned like being introverted, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. when we when we first got introduced, you know, you were telling me that as well, which seems sort of like the antithesis of someone who does spoken word. And also, like I said, like it is just it's like it's fire. Like it Thank is you. like in that the Miss America one. It's like it is like a lion up there roaring, and it's totally. It doesn't seem like an introverted person at all. So I'm wondering how, I guess, you deal with being uncomfortable and 
what is that place you go to mm-hmm. to ignite that fire? Um, that's a good question. Uh, well, I would have to attribute like the fire itself to God because I I don't think that's something that's just like is from me alone. Um, I feel like the stage is also kind of the only place where you can say whatever you want and everybody has to listen, you know? I think my whole life, like I've always been used to people cutting me off or not really fully listening to what I have to say and or just overlooking my perspective. And, you know, it's like when I'm on stage, you have to shut up and you mm. have to listen to what I have to say. And, and I don't know, that's never like my intention. I'm not like up there like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to shut everybody up. No, but that's, but like, like, that's a pretty empowering thought. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of like where I find my agency. And mm. to be honest, it's a really spiritual thing. Like when I'm up, I always pray this prayer. I always say, God, make this about you and not me because I don't ever, because I get very nervous. I will, I will get like an anxiety attack or a panic attack before I perform. Like it's really, really intense. So I always have to like, pray because that's the only thing that I'm like okay if you're with me I can do this you know and it doesn't matter how many shows I've done or whatever how many audiences or like you know it could be a hundred thousand or it could be two I will be just as nervous you know what I'm saying so I mean I, I will say like the only thing I can attribute that fire to is God it's like when I'm on that stage I'm no I'm living according to my purpose I know that this is what God has called me to do and nobody and nothing can take that away from me you mm-hmm. know like nobody can convince me otherwise unless God himself comes to me and says this is not what you're called to do you can't because it's a discernment it's a knowing in your spirit and just having that and like you know like just like for example or whatever that fire that fire was I mean there was a lot of people that performed that night and there's a lot of people that perform you know with that same volume or with that same content but I think like specifically like with that performance the reason why it connected is because it's larger than the voice it's larger than just the words right there's something behind it that's connecting me and the audience and I mean that is just like the most rewarding feeling and that's just like the most you know like when something feels so right like that when I when I do that I'm like this feels right Hmm. and you know, I, I mean, I, I don't really have any more words for it. I mean, when as soon as the performance is done, I'm running off the stage and <laughs> I'm not, I don't really like to like, you know, this might sound bad, but sometimes I don't really like to like wait after shows to like meet people because I'm like, I don't really know what to say. Like, thank you. And then I don't really know how to have a conversation with you after that. Thank you. You know, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I dealt with it a lot when I was younger. And it's mm-hmm. funny because you're right. Like, you can tell yourself whatever, mm-hmm. and but it's not a rational yeah. feeling or thought. Like you can't rationalize it away. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. No one's looking at me. No one cares. They came to see me. They like me. Um, it's got. I feel like the more you speak, at least I mean, in my experience, the more like in my role it, it, through work or even mm-hmm. doing the podcast, like the more you do it, mm-hmm. it starts to go away. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of like the nerves, though, because yeah. it's very sobering. It's very humbling. I mean, I don't like it when it's happening because it's just so overwhelming and it's like, just get off me. But 
you know, I think that like I'm grateful for it because it always, it just prepares me. It like, that's what centers me. That's what keeps me focused. Now, I, I, w I agree with you like as far as like, just like teaching and like having to have like, you know, just be professional in the workplace and like have conversations and stuff like that. It kind of breaks you out a little bit, but you know, I was talking to my friend about this and I'm just like, I don't know how genuine those conversations are, right? Because mm. how much of our conversations are just conventional talk, right? Yeah. Like, I, I'm going to talk to you because I'm an adult and, and I'm trying to be professional and like, <laughs> hi, how you because doing? Because I have to. It's yeah, social, really. The because, socially accepted thing yeah, to do. Yeah, it's the socially accepted <laughs> thing to do. But like, really, I'd rather just be home watching The Office. Right, like, right. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay. Are I, you actually an Office fan? I am an Office um, fanatic. Okay. <laughs> so like... You know, I, I don't know, like, it's, it's cool, like, I, you know, it's different when you talk to your kids, because my students, I mean, not my kids, but, like, my, my students, but, because it's like, okay, well, this is not, like, awkward conversation, you know, it's like, the only, I feel like that it's only, it's only awkward when it's, like, other adults, because it's like, okay, what are we supposed to say to each other, but we're, like, we, like, have to talk, because, right. like, it's just, like, not accepted if we don't talk. <laughs> it's the good morning thing that you have to do with, like, your the 10 people yeah. you pass, good yeah. morning, how are you, good, how are you? <laughs> And it's so crazy, like, I remember one person was telling me a story once, they were like, you know, I was walking past somebody, and they said, how are you? I said, good, how are you? And I kept walking. And that person was like, you don't really want to know. <laughs> and I'm like, it's so true, like, what, I, so I, I mean, half the time, do I really want to know? I mean, of course, like, if I sit down, I'm like, yeah, I want to know how they're doing. But, like, in that moment, I'm like, no, I just kind of want to do my job and... Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just want to be home and, like, create. Like, I love my kids. I love spending time with them. And I love my close friends because I feel comfortable around them. But anybody outside of that, I'm like, I just, I'm just not that person. Like, <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> I, I understand that. I'm sure, like, you being the assistant principal. <laughs> it's, um... Maybe I shouldn't go too far, but I'll just say that I understand it. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you also, going back to the, like, where does the fire come from? Like, you have something that I, I don't have. Sometimes I do envy this in people. Um, I'm, I guess I'm non-religious. I'm, like, I'm of the mentality that, like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And I'm open to things. Yeah but I'm not sure. Yeah. But I also, without trying, without getting too woo-woo here, I feel like, like God can be a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Like your, mm -hmm. your source of inspiration could be a non-denominational God. It could yeah. be a feeling or an energy or a, who knows how mm -hmm. it manifests. Mm -hmm. um, but I do envy that in people who are very self-assured and certain in their faith and can use yeah. that and you seem that way. Like, you've, you've mentioned faith yeah. a few times today. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't always like that, mm. you know? I mean, I didn't, I didn't grow up believing what I believe, you know? I mean, I, I, I consider myself a Christian, but I didn't grow up a Christian, you know? I, that, was, that was something at 14 that I had discovered on my own, you know? Like, and Did Your parents didn't raise you to follow any certain faith? Or? Well, my family is Hindu, okay. so, like, you know, that's what I was... You know, I was Hindu growing up, but that was, you know, generational, not really like devout. You know, I mean, even in America, there's a lot of people that are Catholic, but like, right. you know, you're just Catholic because your parents are and your grandparents are, whatever that means, right? right. <laughs> Almost like culturally 
Catholic yeah. but not practicing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, that's, I always believed in God and, and I don't think I ever not believed in God. And I don't think I, I never, I think even when like, I didn't like have the relationship that I do with him now, like I, I always feel like God was present in my life, like in retrospect, mm-hmm. right? Maybe not in the moment I understood that, but my dad was Christian, but he wasn't really allowed to like, talk about it with us or anything so like I didn't really know he was Christian I just like knew like whatever like he believed in like we just weren't allowed to like really you know whatever be around that so you know I I just like I was like okay like I just would be I would feel bad for him because like I would have family members not like immediate family members but like tell me that like oh he's gonna go to hell for what he like believes in and like I would just remember being so sad because I was like I don't want my dad to go to hell like he's a good man like why should he go to hell you know what I'm saying and um so you know middle school was a really tough time for me and that was like and um which is why I feel like I'm in teaching middle school now is like um you know, I mean, that's like the age where people are trying to figure out themselves and they're like not a kid anymore. So they're like starting to understand the world, but they also think they understand the world a lot better than they actually do. So they're like make these definitive truths and you're like, wait, just you still have a lot to learn. Like, right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like they think they're grown. Yeah. <laughs> so in some cases, so you're like, OK, but um, but, you know, I was I was again, I was like, you know, young trying to figure out myself. And I was also like grew up really really fast so like I was like especially already like trying to go through things and so you know that was like an age of like really being depressed and like really feeling like man like like why am I even alive like what's the purpose of like I don't know like if this is if I have to go through school and like deal with this every day and like if I can I can never like walk in this world and be white you know like that was like a real like, now I'm so happy to be what I am. But, like, when I was younger, that was, like, a real, like, hard truth that I had to, like, Would you think that accept. you wanted to be white? Oh, yeah. I mean, really? I just thought that life would just be so much easier. I just was, like, man, if I could just be white, my life would, like, wow. all my problems would go away. I, I really, really thought that. And I just said, uh, I just had to come to that realization that that's never going to happen, you know? And, like, that was so hard for me. I mean, now I'm, like, I'm I'm so happy to be what I am. You know, I'm truly proud, you know? But, like, at that point, it was just, like, I was, like, wow. Like, I can, I will never be able to escape this. And, mm. like, it was, it was so hard. And, like, even at home, there was so many things, you know, like, you know, just, like, how, I mean, and this is not just, like, people of color, but, like, anybody can relate to, like, if you come from a broken home, like, what that feels like or um you know whatever so just all those things combined and and that was the age where like I really like that was when God had really entered my life and you know I mean it's just it's just been amazing it's just it's been a journey not it's not all easy you know definitely there are times where I've been more inclined to doubt but I, I feel like God has always showed up and I think the beautiful thing about the way that he moved in my life and the way that like I believe in him is 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 not based on me. It's just based on like just like God is so accessible to anybody, you know? And like I was just like in my worst, in my down, you know, and like you know, he was present and so oh, that's amazing. Yeah, so yeah, I mean that's that's my faith where my faith comes from. And I'll you know, that's 
And it's, I mean, there's plenty of other times, you know, I can speak of, but like, that was like where my, my root, where it all started, you know? And that's where you draw a lot of your power from now for performing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's a source that's, you know. Wow. Yeah. Um, I'd written down something that I tried to find a little more information about. Are you okay with time? Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, yeah okay. I'm good. Um, as long as it's okay for you. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, you went on a trip, I think, related to, um, like, your artistry to uh, Guyana. Oh, yeah. Can um, you talk about that? Yeah, so uh, I did a performance for One Billion Rising with um, Eve Ensler. She has, like, this or domestic violence awareness organization. Mm. And they have, um, you know, on Valentine's Day, it's called, like, V-Day, and she like has performances all throughout the country and they also have a lot of international chapters so i had originally performed in their new york location and um the caribbean regional coordinator for um the uh, one billion rising um i had connected with her and she's been great she's been like you know we got really close and so she goes to guyana every year and um you know does a performance there and so then she had asked me um to come and like headline the performance in guyana which was really cool because this is my first international show my only international show so far hmm. um and you know i i was able to headline the performance and it was really cool and like it was also interesting right because like i'm i'm indian right like east indian and then like being able to be in the caribbean and right. like the west like in the west indian like descent but like yet when i was there it was like everybody is like everybody looks like me everybody eats like mm. me talks like me you know what i'm saying so it's like just to see like people that are my culture in a t completely different part of the world. Like, it was really cool. And it was really like, I, I, like you know, until I spoke, everybody thought I was Guyanese. You know right, what I'm saying? Right. So, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that was a, I was really honored to be there. Um, we did, uh, we did a few performances. I mean, we mostly like, because I was there for like four or five days. So, um you know, we were there doing like radio interviews and stuff like just promoting for the show. And um, then I shot actually one of my videos, like the only video I have on my YouTube channel was actually shot there. And that's one that looks like real professional, right? Yeah. 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 So that it looks was like actually, a music video. Yeah. So yeah. that was actually that was in Guyana. Oh, cool. And so we'll link to that one, too. Yeah. And then um, so then I performed and. Um, it was just a, it was a great experience. It was really cool. And just to hear like the stories of the woman, you know, like um, it's very humbling. I mean, there was a woman that came out that like didn't have an arm because like their husbands had cut it off. Not that Jesus, that yeah. stuff just happens in Guyana. That stuff happens right, everywhere. Right, right. I, I'm not alluding to that, but I'm saying like as a performer, it was just very humbling and sobering to like hear the stories always. So there were victims of abuse that were actually performing too. Uh, yes, but no. a lot of the, uh, most of the victims were, were present in the space okay. as audience members. I gotcha. Yeah. So yeah. did you write something specifically for that? Um, I'm trying to remember. I mean, I, I had like a whole set, so like it was like 30 minutes. So I believe there were some. Well, actually, a lot of the poems that I performed there were poems that I was like preparing to publish in my book. Okay. So they were like, I wrote it for that show, but I also wrote it for the book. So it was like it kind of f functioned as both. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to talk about the book at all or no? Well, I mean, we can. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, yeah, I want to talk about that and then like maybe what, what's coming next. So mm -hmm. um, Don't Drown Her in the Baptism is the name yeah, of your book. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which 
I've ordered and has not arrived yet, but <laughs> I'm assuming is that also the title of a poem from the book or not? Yeah, I mean, I, I ended up naming a, ty- a, a poem after the book, but not... The book wasn't based on the poem. The poem was based on the book, okay. if that makes sense. <laughs> I had a question, too, mm-hmm. because um, I've always found it, especially like with musicians, that... Like that, so that title is really cool, <laughs> and I, I think about this a lot. Like I had, I always reference this just because it was like my favorite episode I've done. But Jeff, uh, we, we talked about from from the band that yeah. we were talking about earlier. Like his his songs are are so much influenced by things that he's read. Yeah. So I'm wondering if you had any favorites that you could share from people because I feel like you don't write well without having read well i don't know if that okay yeah no sense. i agree yeah really so, i mean do you do you have favorites like yes authors works that people should check yeah, out yeah i would say my favorite poet is definitely patricia smith i mean just like amazing um terence hayes um i really like reading novels as well like i love james baldwin mm. tony morrison juno diaz um arundhati roy um oh man i forgot uh what's his name stephen dunn um, John Sands. Um, yeah, I could go on. Yeah, forever. that's a good start. There, yeah. there you go, kids. There's your summer reading list. <laughs> um, so, "Don't Drown Her in the Baptism" came out as part of being Youth the poet laureate. Yes, it's a it's a book deal that's in partnership with the title. Yeah, cool. with and the position is still available. I think probably by this point, every well, if people got this far, they listened to the intro, and so we're gonna do something with that. But. Um, What's next then? I think we were talking about this a bit before we started recording, but any plans for um, a new book, uh, performances, art? Yeah, so I I mean, my goal as far as like what I want to do is go full-time by the summer. So that's wow. like, that's what I'm aiming for and working towards. Um, but I also want to put out um, an album and I want to, an album to be a col- collaborative with music and poetry. So the poems and the the content would be song structured, but it would be poems. So there would be a chorus and there would be instrumentals. I would have a producer. I would have vocalists sing the chorus. I would write everything, but I would have them sing it. And then I would in the instead of verses, there would well there would be verses, but there would be verses of poetry. Mm. Um, so and I also want to put out like visual content with that. And so. That is the goal, and I, I hope that, because, you know, I sometimes struggle with writer's block, so I hope to um, put that out, and then also just, like, because, you know, I mean, it's been four years, and, like, I also feel like I've grown as a person, and what I have to say is different, and how I, I mean, I, I still, you know, feel, I still feel and think the same way, but, like, it's just evolved, and, mm. um what that looks like, you know, from being 18 and like being the, a freshman oh, in college sure. yeah. and now like paying rent. Well, I've been on my own <laughs> since I've been 19, but you know, like, you know, just that, uh, uh, part of it, it's just, it really sobers you a little bit. All, I mean, aside from life experiences, just like every, like all the, each year seems crazier than the last lately. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I'm, I'm not an artist myself, but I would assume like there's plenty of like fodder and inspiration right now yeah, to sure. be able to. And I'm sure I mean art. there's an art to being able to podcast. Like. There is a bit, yeah. The, there certainly is, but um, you're on a different level than me. 
not even, <laughs> not even. <laughs> I was wondering, like, uh, so you, those those plans sound really cool. Are are you able to parlay like your features in the source into like? Have you been able to talk to like a music producer or anybody mm -hmm. that like is also on? board with helping you create this yeah i mean um the person so the person that's producing it is i mean i've known him since i was like 16 15 oh, okay. so a childhood friend and you know they're a really great musician so um i'm having him produce it and um you know i do have an official my my mentor is my manager now so it's like i have that and i, I mean a lot of what i'm trying to do is build a team as well mm. because like, I'm really weird. I don't really ask people for help because I'm like, okay, like, I could just, you know, whatever. I'm just going to try to do everything on my on my own. But, like, I really, I really, this is really my dream to go full time, you know. And, like, I, I like, if I have a team around me, that's going to be very helpful. That's going to be, like, you know, like, and also it's just, like, it's always nice to, like, be able to accomplish things with people, mm -hmm. you know. Like, sure. other than yourself, like. When you accomplish with it, you have people to celebrate with to like, you know, rather than like by myself, I, I'm like, okay, cool. Just go home and... Please. Yeah. Like, my dream dream would be is this, if, if this is a hobby right now, it's not monetized. If this was ever able to become something and take off, like... Yeah. My two, like, I bought, like, my two best friends, like, one of them is an amazing photographer, like, yeah. he can handle media, and my other best friend can do, like, booking and shows yeah, and things yeah. like that, to be able to work with, like, a, a tight-knit group of yeah. friends. It's nothing like it, nothing in the That's world like That's like the LeBron it. James thing, it's like, yeah. you know, immediately upon stardom, like, all of his best friends became his inner circle, his yeah. agents, his assistants, and things like that. That's the dream. Yeah. That's, I mean... That's what I would do. There's nothing like it. And you can trust them, you know? I mean, some people can, right. but, like, you would hope <laughs> you can trust them. <laughs> does does full-time mean, like, touring, too? Yeah, that's that's the goal. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. what I want to do. I want to, But I have to put out new work before I, sure, yeah, you yeah. know, do that. But, yeah, that's the that's the goal, going awesome. full-time. All right, well, listen. This stuff goes quick. Um, first of all, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, this was really cool. I'm going to hopefully actually you don't have you you can't perform anything, can you? I don't have any new work. Okay. So this is what I'm gonna do then. I'm gonna I'm gonna and I'm gonna include some audio in the beginning of this if okay. with your yeah, approval. That's fine. Um as probably before the intro or after. Um, so yeah, thank you. This was really, thank really cool. It's great to talk to you. Um, you know, I've been really fortunate that I've been able to talk to people that I think are interesting and doing really cool things. And I feel like I'm getting older. I'm not that old, but a lot of people are, are younger than me. And mm -hmm. I can see, like I had, um, Kira Batara is, um, a female MMA fighter in mm -hmm. California. And it's like, I can see see her stardom yeah. like I know it's there and it's gonna happen one day yeah. and like I can totally like you can see that with you like oh, wow. the, these poems are brilliant um, Thank you, you so carry much. yourself really well like this is there's there's something here and so oh wow I, I that means to, a lot thank you yeah wow so that's... for you you know I know it'll happen and I hope it happens for me selfishly and I, I could know say it'll happen for I you was there too. first <laughs> yes yeah. Um, you got to take off of this podcast. Oh, thank you. Appreciate <laughs> it. Um, anything to plug? Any places that people can go check you out if you want people to... I know you're taking a break from social media, but um, mm -hmm. is there a way that people can follow you in your journey? 
Yeah. Um. I mean, I'm gonna be back on social media like the end of this month. So okay. definitely, it's just my first and last name R A M Y A, R A M A N A. Um. That's me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, everything really. So you can follow me on there, and then um, I'm always keeping updated, and I'm trying to put out new work in March. So, you know, definitely. If you want to tune into that, <laughs> awesome. Um, all right, folks. This is probably, if you're listening to this, probably dropping. Uh, what is today? The tenth. The um, yes, tenth. All right. So today's the tenth of recording. This will probably drop Friday the twelfth. So as always, thank you for listening and take care of each other. And I will talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bye bye. <laughs> bye.